This episode features dramatizations of gore and harm against minors and animals, as well as references to domestic violence and post-traumatic stress. Listener discretion is advised, especially for listeners under 13. Please note, the story you're about to hear is not a direct retelling of any single depiction of Hercules and the mares of Diomedes. Today's episode combines elements from a number of Greek legends and stories for dramatic effect. Hello everyone, I'm Vanessa Richardson, and welcome to a new season of Mythical Monsters, a Spotify original from Parcast. You may not be afraid of vampires, ghosts, or witches, but everyone is afraid of something. And whatever that thing is, it shows up once in a while to haunt your dreams as a nightmare. Every Monday in October, Mythical Monsters will feature a terrifying beast straight from your subconscious. Only these monsters are real. Or at least some ancient people thought so. There's the Sukuyant who sheds her skin each night before stalking her prey. The Mananangal whose entrails dangle beneath her as she flies. And Kamazats, the Mayan bat god who beheaded those who were brought to it for sacrifice. And that's only half of the horrible abominations we'll be covering this Halloween on Mythical Monsters, Nightmare Creatures. Listen in and never sleep well again. Today, we're bridging the gap between our sleep scares and Hercules' labors with the mares of Diomedes. From far away, these may look like ordinary horses, but look closer. There's something in their teeth that's a little bloodier than hay. You can find all episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. Coming up, we set out to steal man-eating monsters. Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it. The new Moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money Maker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. There's a new class of blockbuster drugs. Drugs like Ozempic. They're changing bodies. And all of a sudden, just the weight starts falling off. Fortunes. It just got too expensive. They're just bank breakers. And industries. There was a lot of excitement. There was a lot of skepticism. The impact of these drugs from business to health is just beginning. From the journal, Trillion Dollar Shot. Find it in the journal feed wherever you get your podcasts. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like, what the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. 
Hercules was the most famous son of Zeus and a beloved hero of the Greco-Roman world. But Zeus's wife, Hera, hated him. She used her magic to trick Hercules into killing his wife and sons. As penance for these crimes, Hercules agreed to a series of impossible tasks, or labors, set for him by his rival and cousin, King Eurystheus. Almost all of these labors had a catch or a complication that Hercules wasn't expecting. But his eighth labor, stealing the mares of Diomedes, is the best example of the deadly effects of burying the lead. The monstrous mares were the creation of King Diomedes, the son of war god Ares. He ruled over a tribe called the Bistones, who lived in Thrace, at the eastern edge of modern-day Greece. The Bistones weren't exactly moderate or peaceful people. They were known for their dedication to both Ares and Dionysus, the god of wine and ecstasy. They took part in the drunken and violent revels at the heart of Dionysian worship and were feared by their neighbors. Diomedes was always looking for new ways to terrorize his rivals, so he bred four nightmarish horses. He named them Podargos the Swift, Lampone the Shining, Xanthos the Yellow, and Danos the Terrible. They were the greatest warhorses the world had ever known, and he doted on them. They were supernaturally strong and breathed fire, but he wondered if there was a way to make them even more formidable. One day, Diomedes fed them human flesh. They smacked their lips and begged for more. He obliged, and soon it was all the mares would eat. As they gobbled up stable boys and cavalrymen, Diomedes only smiled. Who would stand against him when these monsters drew his chariot? Diomedes dominated Thrace, and legends of his cruelty traveled far and wide. The horses were only spoken of in whispers, as few witnesses lived to tell the tale. But when Eurystheus told Hercules to steal Diomedes' mares, Hercules wasn't worried. He'd never pulled off a heist before, but at least it was a change from killing beasts. Hercules was confident that Diomedes was the only monster he would face. How very wrong he was. Night in the wilds of Thrace was dark and deep. A thick forest loomed just outside the main meadow. The grass was long and the wind whistled, making the meadow roll and swell like an ocean in the dark. And there, at the center of the meadow, sat the largest and most opulent stable Hercules had ever seen. He and his childhood friend Abderus had spent four hours creeping through the grass. Now they hid in the weeds just outside the stable doors. It was a slower approach than Hercules would have liked, but horse thieving was Abderus's trade. Hercules didn't want to offend his old friend, especially when Abderus had only agreed to come along as a favor. Abderus had heard there were 20 guards assigned to the mares of Diomedes, but that night they had only seen one anxious-looking stable boy. He ducked in and out of the broad doors, hauling straw, and that had been hours ago. 
Even if there were 20 guards somewhere on the other side of the building, though, Hercules was ready to handle them all. But Abderus held him back, waiting for, well, Hercules didn't really know. He'd always thought of thieving as a quick enterprise, but had discovered there was far too much surveillance for his taste. Hercules worried Abderus was going to want many more hours to prepare. He adjusted the Nemean lion's skin on his shoulders. Abderus gave him an affectionate push. You didn't have to bring the cloak, you know. I think people can tell who you are by the height and ego alone. Now, let's review. Hercules grunted his displeasure. Abderus wanted to go over the plan. Again. Hercules politely refused. Improvisation was his greatest strength, aside from his actual strength. Abderus let out a quiet laugh, then sighed. All right, and what did you promise me? Hercules rolled his eyes. No danger whatsoever to your precious person. Abderus had never been the hero type. It had taken a lot of convincing to get him to come along at all. Hercules had promised Abderus that he would handle any fighting. All Abderus needed to do was pick the locks. Abderus nodded, satisfied, and began to creep forward once again. Well, I guess it's time. Hercules and Abderus rounded the far side of the stables to find one guard. Hercules felt almost insulted, but he rushed out of the weeds and knocked him out all the same. The guard slumped against the wide stable door. Hercules caught him as he slid to the ground, holding him like a rag doll. See, I can be subtle when I want. Abderus rolled his eyes. Right, very subtle. Then he turned his attention to the large lock. Abderus pressed his ear to the metal as he worked. I think the stable boy's inside, so be wary. Finally, the lock fell open with a quiet click. Abderus opened the door, and he and Hercules slipped inside. The building was eerily dark. No moonlight penetrated the cavernous structure. Hercules placed the unconscious guard down in a corner, then nearly tripped on a large metal tub. He couldn't quite see what was in it, but it felt like straw. He pointed it out to Abderus. Why do they need a bronze feeding trough? Abderus shrugged and offered, rich people? Hercules couldn't argue with that. They continued forward to the first stall. There, a pale white horse stared out at him with dark eyes. Her coat glistened with sweat, and she seemed to shimmer even in the low light. She was beautiful. It was a crime to keep her locked away, like a flower in darkness. Hercules kept his voice gentle. Ready for a trip, little girl? The horse didn't startle or chuff. She just stared. Hercules reached for her lead, but when he closed his hand, he felt cold iron links. One was half broken and sharp. It drew blood. He gave Abderus another confused look and mouthed, what is this? Abderus shook his head. His source hadn't mentioned the chains, but maybe they'd never been inside. 
He nodded for Hercules to go on to the next stall. He'd deal with the first. The next stall held a tan mare with a chest as broad as Hercules' own. She seemed just as placid as her stallmate and just as well secured. He looked across the way, two more stalls, two more horses in chains. It was sad, but not completely unexpected. Diomedes was not known for his empathy. Abderus led the first two mares to Hercules. He'd figured out how to loosen their chains. <laughs> A man's laugh cut through the stillness. Hercules and Abderus froze. They couldn't see where it was coming from. One of the horses snuffled at the other. Hercules whispered to his friend, You want me to take care of it? Abderus shook his head. You don't know if there's anything to take care of. That's to the right of us, away from the door. Listen, see if it moves. Hercules nodded, subtle. The two men waited several painful seconds. When no other sound came, they continued their work. The duo soon had all four horses in hand. They tiptoed to the stable door and pushed it open as quietly as they could. Outside in the tall grass, the thieves held their breath, but there was no more laughter. Soon they had gently led the horses across the field and entered the forest. Back at the stables, the wood door opened with a crash. Diomedes, the Thracian demigod, burst in. A guard lay slumped at the door. The stalls were empty. The guards beside him braced for his anger, but Diomedes only laughed. Find the thieves, or what remains of them, then send for me. I want to see what my girls have done. Twenty men mounted their horses and headed off into the forest. Diomedes walked over to the bronze trough and reached his hand in. He pulled out the body of the stable boy, half-eaten. Then he sat down and waited. Coming up, Hercules meets the tyrannical king of Thrace. It's October 20th, 2018, one day until the end of the world. I'm on the compound of a secretive religious organization, interviewing a longtime member. Their leader has predicted that tomorrow will be the beginning of the apocalypse. The prediction? Yes, I am prepared. It will purify life from a lot of illusions. When I started working on this story, I was hoping to profile a unique apocalyptic group that had survived through many failed doomsday predictions. But the end of the world was just the beginning. The only way to get to heaven was to allow him sexual activity with me. I didn't specifically give my consent. I was frozen at the time. The angels, they arranged that he is supposed to have sex with his students. He is an amazing teacher, and also he's a sick f This is Revelations, a Spotify original from Parcast, premiering Sunday, October 3rd. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. 
You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Now back to the story. Hercules and Abderus picked their way between the trees of the Bistonian forest, pulling Diomedes' mares behind them. The four horses moved slowly, as if awakened from a long sleep. Hercules glanced back. Something didn't feel right. He couldn't define it, but it sent a prickle of electricity up the back of his neck, like they were being followed. Abderus heard it first, the patter of hoofbeats behind them. He eyed Hercules. You sure we need all four? With two, we could ride away. Hercules nodded. All four. That's the labor. But I'll handle it, I promise. Abderus opened his mouth, but he was drowned out by the growing thunder of approaching horses. Well, there's the 20 guards. Diomedes' riders pounded their way towards Hercules and Abderus. Twenty was a lot of men. Hercules could take them. But whether he could keep Abderus safe, he wasn't so sure. But he'd promised he would, and Hercules kept his promises. He looked at his friend, then at the horses beside them. Finally, he spoke. I'll take care of it. Abderus blanched. Did you not hear what I said about 20 guards? Hercules shoved a lead into Abderus's hand and mounted the red mare. No danger to your precious person, right? Don't let them see you. Your mother would never forgive me. Abderus opened his mouth to protest, but Hercules was already gone. He barreled through the darkness, heading straight for the guards. He made as much noise as possible, trying to distract them from Abderus. He snapped the reins, urging his horse to go faster. But the red mare kept turning her head back. Her eyes were bloodshot, as if uncomfortable. Then her teeth jutted out of her mouth, just long enough that Hercules could see. They were sticky and crimson far longer than they should have been. But before Hercules could look closer, she faced forward again. Suddenly, a guard appeared out of the darkness, sword drawn. Hercules ducked as the blade passed over his head and urged the mare forward. The attack was a good sign. The guards were pursuing him rather than looking for Abderus, but he was still at a significant disadvantage. He didn't know this terrain. He needed open ground, and the only open ground he knew was back at the start. Hercules lowered his voice. Let's take you home, girl. Then he lowered his head and urged her back towards the stable. Two guards tried to close in on him, but this time the red mare was too fast. She lurched forward, her neck stretched out. It looked for a moment like she'd snapped at the other rider, but Hercules decided that was his imagination. She was just a horse. They burst out into the field. The other guards were close, but at least Hercules could see them now. He drew his sword and ran the mare towards the stable. 
with something at his back, he could bottleneck them, or at least he hoped so. He slowed the mare and turned. The guards formed a triangle and crept closer. No one called the cavalry, he yelled. Suddenly, the guards stopped, frightened. Hercules glanced behind him, confused. The stable doors had blown open, and a corpse was rolling out. The stable boy. The corpse was followed by one of the tallest men Hercules had ever seen. He wore thick, dirty furs and bronze gauntlets. A mane-like beard framed his face, and he was carrying one of the chains from the stables. Diomedes boomed at Hercules. Welcome to Thrace, Hercules. I see you've seen the error of your ways and returned one horse. But where are the other three? Hercules eyed the surrounding guards. Far away from you and getting farther. Diomedes let out a booming laugh. Oh, I don't think that's wise. That beast you ride is quite dangerous. Turn her over and tell me where we can find the other three. I know you heroes hate unnecessary casualties. It was rare for people to threaten Hercules outright. It tended to end badly. I'd be more concerned about you, king. Diomedes laughed again, then approached. Oh, you are the son of Zeus. So much bluster, but the threat does not come from me. The mares are getting hungry, you see, and I feed them a very special diet. Diomedes reached Hercules and the mare. He waved the chain under the horse's nose. It had a dark red stain on it. Blood. His blood. That was the chain he'd cut himself on early that night. The mare made a strange, guttural noise. Half hunger, half rage. Hercules looked at Diomedes, confused. He tugged softly on the reins of his horse to turn her head towards him. Her teeth were bared again, and still red, blood red. Hercules suddenly realized why the stable boy was dead. The blood drained from his face as he muttered one word, Abdurus. Then he yanked the horse to the side and pushed her to a full gallop. He needed to get back to the horse thief right now. Hercules rode the mare as hard as he could, the guards following him. The horse let out a horrible squeal and tried to buck him off, but he held tight. Her eyes went bloodshot and her mouth foamed. Smoke rose from her nostrils. Hercules kept a tight hold on her flanks and the reins. As long as he had control of her head, she couldn't get to him. The forest had somehow gotten even darker. Still, he pushed the mare onwards, hoping she would search for her carnivorous kin. He called out Abdurus's name, but there was no answer. Hercules reached the clearing where they'd separated and stopped. The mare turned to attack him. He dodged and yanked the reins in the opposite direction. We're looking for the same thing, girl. Same thing for different reasons, but come on. Unfortunately, like many monsters, she didn't speak Greek. She dipped forward and then kicked her legs back. Hercules went flying. 
He grabbed a tree to stop himself, dragging it down to the ground. He stood, drew his sword on the mare, and let out a bellow of rage. He didn't care about Diomedes anymore, and he certainly didn't care about his labor. He wanted his friend back, and this horse was in the way. The mare lowered her head. Her eyes glowed with an eerie red light. She let out an angry squeal and ran forward, hooves first. Hercules didn't have any room to strike out. He dodged to the side as she rounded on him again. Another sound cut through the chaos, a scream, Abderus. Hercules sprinted towards the sound and found Abderus laying on the forest floor. His face was bruised, his arm missing. The largest of the three mares was sniffing at his blood-covered stomach. The other two pawed at him with their hooves, nipping and tearing at the empty socket where his arm had been, like they were working their way through a pile of fruit. At first, Hercules feared that he was hallucinating, but it was all too real. Abderus let out a guttural moan. His eyes were glassy, but alive, staring up at the moon. Hercules ran forward and shoved the white mare away from Abderus's midsection. He swiped out with his sword to knock the other two away. The pale one chased at his sword with her own teeth. She was unfazed by metal. Hercules knew there was more than one thing to worry about here. Abderus needed a physician, or maybe a god. But Diomedes was also on his way. They were running out of time. Then the red mare came up behind him. Hercules felt thick, sharp teeth clamp onto his shoulder. Only the impenetrable hide of the Nemean lion kept the bite from puncturing his skin. He twisted out of her grip, ready to defend Abderus again. He called back to him. Just a little bit of danger, right, my friend? Abderus let out a pained laugh. Just a little bit, but we can improvise, I'm sure. Hercules smiled gently at Abderus, but they both knew they were fooling themselves. The thunder of more hoofbeats approached. Diomedes' men burst into the glade, holding chains. Hercules would have been happy for them to take the mares so he could help Abderus, but the guards seemed too frightened to do much of anything. The mares snapped and kicked at the soldiers. The men shrank back. A voice called out and the horses froze, twitching unnaturally. Diomedes entered the glade. My poor, beautiful girls, what have these thieves done to you? He strolled up to the nervous mares, running his hand along the pale one's neck. You'll be home soon. He turned his gaze on Hercules. And you'll eat well tonight. I hear demigods taste delicious. But Hercules didn't acknowledge the threat. He was watching the mares instead. He recognized the way they looked at Diomedes. It was the way Hercules looked at Hera. Hatred, the desire to rip and tear until there was nothing left. Hercules wasn't allowed to attack Hera. That would be another offense to the gods. But Diomedes was no deity. Maybe the mares just needed a little help. 
Hercules looked to Abderus again. He was getting paler by the moment. Blood poured from his nose. But for the first time, Hercules had a little hope. Stay with me, Abderus. I've actually got a plan. Coming up, Hercules beats Diomedes at his own game. Now back to the story. Hercules and Abderus were cornered. They had man-eating horses on their left and a tyrannical king on their right. But Hercules had a plan. Diomedes was reaching for the chains when Hercules spoke up. I challenge you to single combat, Diomedes. Just you and me. Diomedes looked at him like he'd grown a second head. Why? Hercules smiled. Why leave your men the glory when you can say you've killed the son of Zeus? Not even your father Ares has managed that. Diomedes thought for a long second, then said, I see what you're doing, but I accept. On certain terms, the mares get a chance as well. Abderus let out a moan of pain and gasped, Nope, no deal. Diomedes leaned against the pale horse's flank, keeping his eyes on Hercules. I promised them you, and you know how it is. You were a father once. Hercules held in his anger. Fine, as long as you let Abderus go. Abderus winced as he tried to sit up. Oh, Hercules, hubris was always your most attractive quality. Diomedes drew his blade. It was jagged and crusted with blood. Hercules unsheathed his sword and took a deep breath. He didn't need to win this fight. He just needed to draw blood. Diomedes brought his blade down with inhuman strength. But Hercules was a demigod just like Diomedes, and Zeus had always been stronger than Ares. Hercules blocked Diomedes' strike, then pushed his blade upwards. He got in one small swipe at Diomedes' arm before the king put his guard back up. Diomedes examined his shallow wound. Missed opportunity, Hercules. But Hercules paid him no mind. He backed up a few steps, then he placed his sword beneath the mare's noses. One of the mares let out a soft neigh, then a whinny. All four of them tossed their heads. Hercules kept his eyes on Diomedes, watching to see when he would figure it out. He still looked confused when the horses began to run forward with almost feline speed. The mares struck with their teeth and hooves. The soldiers fled, but their leader was felled. They trampled him first so he could not move. Then they dug into their feast. The mare's teeth ripped sinew off Diomedes' body. He whimpered for help, but none came. The guards were gone. The tan mare nudged him playfully. Then she ripped off his arm. He let out a scream, but the red mare ripped out his throat and kept eating. 
Hercules didn't have time to gloat. He turned to Abderus and began treating his wounds as best he could, but he feared this was going to take an offering to the gods. He'd have to get his friend to a temple as quickly as possible. Abderus nudged him. Hercules, look! The mares were still cavorting in the gore, but something had changed. They were somehow peaceful. The mares' bodies were still covered in blood and viscera, but their teeth were clean and white. Their eyes were clear. They trotted around the glade, nudging each other and playing. Abderus whispered, Do we trust this? Hercules kept his eyes on them as he answered, not at all, but they're Eurystheus's problem now. Abderus groaned as Hercules tied another bandage. I am not helping you wash them. Hercules smiled. Oh, you definitely are, or I'm telling your mother. Abderus stuck his tongue out at him. Then I'll tell your mother that you nearly got me eaten by a bunch of horses. Hercules laughed. She'll never believe you. Abderus watched the horses for another moment. Eh, good point. Abderus groaned as Hercules lifted him onto his shoulders. Hercules tossed the lion's pelt aside and said, better wearing you than the cloak. Then he grabbed the horse's reins and walked off. Another day, another labor completed. Now he just had to save his friend. Horses were a vital element of Greek society, but in the case of the mares, a single taste of human flesh transforms them from warm, maternal and dutiful horses into man-eating monsters. For the Greeks, the possibility that this can happen to a horse or any animal would have been frightening. The legend of the mares of Diomedes softens this fear by distancing both Diomedes and the story's setting. Thrace was a far-off land for most Greek audiences, and while their people were considered to be violent and dangerous, it was assumed that no mainland Greek would feed flesh to their horses. By setting the story elsewhere, the mainland listener could enjoy the frightening elements of the story without experiencing panic. Yet, scarier even than its appetite for flesh is the horse's unassuming appearance. In many versions of the myth, Hercules leaves his companion Abderus with the animals when he sets off to fight Diomedes, because neither man perceives how dangerous the horses are. Hercules then returns to find the horses feasting on the corpse of his friend. In today's version of the legend, though, there's a happy ending for these fearsome beasts. The mares are cured of their appetites by consuming Diomedes, and they go on to live happy lives. It's even said that the mares' descendants fought in the Trojan War, and that Alexander the Great's horse was related to them. The murder of a tyrant restores the animals to themselves, so they're able to contribute to society. But is it really that simple? Who is more dangerous, the foreign tyrant 
or the monsters hiding in plain sight. Could the mainland Greeks really be sure that this evil was confined to faraway Thrace? Or was the danger lurking beside them, hitched to a cart in the marketplace, ready to take a bite? Thanks for listening to Mythical Monsters. We'll be back next week with another Nightmare Monster. You can find all episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. I'll see you next time. Mythical Monsters is a Spotify original from ParCast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Kenny Hobbs, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Mythical Monsters was written by Lil D. Ritter and Jen Rache, with writing assistance by Stacey Nemec and Nora Battelle, fact-checking by Bennett Logan, and research by Adriana Gomez. I'm Vanessa Richardson. The only way to get to heaven was to allow him sexual activity with me. These are not the people that you would normally associate with a cult. Do you think I need to be worried for my safety? I definitely think you should be prudent. This is Revelations, a Spotify original from Parcast, premiering Sunday, October 3rd.